This year our theme is Living an Abundant Life. We're taking Jesus' statement and trying to figure out how we, what we need to do to live an abundant life. Some are moving that direction already, I believe. I believe lives and families are changing as we understand what Jesus intended for us. Jesus said very clearly, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Certainly eternal life is what he came to give us, but he's also the God of all joy. He doesn't intend us to live a joyless life. He intends for us to live an abundant life, rich life, full life, overflowing is what that word means. As we talked about the first week, our picture for this year is about a farmer and an abundant harvest. If a farmer wants to raise an abundant harvest, we Kansans know what he's got to do. Uh, He's got to clear the field of the wrong things. He's got to plant the right kind of things. And then he's got to wait for God to give the harvest. Uh, Our plan is very similar to that. If we want an abundant life, uh, we start by clearing the field. So that's our first series this year is clearing the field. Not of weeds and bugs and things that a farmer deals with, but other noxious things that choke out the abundant life. And we've looked at a few of those. Last week we talked about... Uh, pride. Before that, we talked about worry. Before that, we talked about sin. Uh, Those are three life-destroying problems. They have to be hacked out. They have to be hacked to pieces and gotten out of our lives. And hopefully, we're starting to figure that out as we go along here. Uh, Today, let's consider another life-stealing problem, unforgiveness. I know that's kind of a negative way to look at things, but uh, the positive side would be, yes, we are, are to be forgiving people, as we'll find out today. But when we don't do that, when we don't practice forgiveness, when we hold on to unforgiveness in our life, it is a life-destroying problem. In fact, I entitled our lesson, The Most Expensive Mistake, because I believe it very well may be. At least it will be the most surprising to some of you when you discover the cost of unforgiveness. Let's do a little cost-benefit analysis first here, and then we'll study forgiveness. Uh, When Jesus taught his followers to pray in Matthew 6, like was just read to you, let's go over again what he said. We're very familiar with the gist of the poem. In fact, we've heard it the prayer so many times that it just kind of is a cliche. But listen to what he said. He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as earth on, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Now, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And if you didn't catch that, that's the one part that Jesus comes back and repeats, explains clarifies, amplifies. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. So then he comes back at the end of it and says, after he's given the prayer, he says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you don't, if you hold on to unforgiveness, if you don't forgive others, your father won't forgive your sins. That's expensive, folks. 
That is a very high price to pray for the problem of unforgiveness. In another passage about prayer, in Mark chapter 11, verse 26, this is the way Jesus put it. He said, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. Why, Jesus? So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. So that your Father will be able to forgive you your sins. Those are pretty clear passages. In fact, I want you to make sure you have figured out what Jesus said. So I gave you a box there on your handout. You can fill that in mentally or with your pencil if you want. Just finish that sentence. After what Jesus told you, do you understand? If you do not forgive others, what's the consequence? What's the cost? What's the price? If I do not forgive others, what happens? Well, that's the serious consequence. That's the mistake of not forgiving. And it's truly the most expensive mistake. Notice in this passage we just looked at, if you hold what? Anything against anyone. Anything. I don't know how you've been hurt or violated or betrayed or disrespected or abused or abandoned, but I know it fits in anything. I don't know if you've been hurt physically or emotionally or spiritually, but I know it fits in anything. I don't know if it's a big thing or a small thing, a recent thing, a thing long past, a minor thing or a major thing. But it's an anything. In some fundamental way, not forgiving wrecks our relationship with God. It makes it where he's not able to forgive us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said, if you're at the altar, if you get to the altar, all the way to the altar with your gift, and you're ready to give your sacrifice, and you remember that you got a problem with somebody, then lay your gift down and go fix it. Go take care of it. Then come back and give your gift. Someone has explained that this way. There is no use trying to talk to God if we are not on speaking terms with our brother. Something about unforgiveness wrecks that relationship. So now you know the cost. It's serious. It's the most expensive mistake you can make. Let's make sure that we know what forgiveness is. We know it's not just saying the words. It's not just saying, okay, I forgive you. Because those passages we looked at and the ones we'll look at in a while say it must come from the heart. So let's understand what forgiveness is. When, when we forgive, we give up something. We turn loose of something is maybe the best way to say it. We give up our resentment about the wrong, whatever the wrong is, the anything. We give up our resentment about what happened. We give up our resentment toward the wrongdoer, whoever did it to us. 
and we give up any plans or hope or thoughts or imaginings of retaliation. We give all that up. We just turn it loose. And if we understand that, then we know what unforgiveness is, is holding on to that stuff. Is holding on to some resentment about what happened to us. Holding on, resenting the person that did it. And having thoughts, maybe not planning some huge revenge, but it's still in there. You think about how you can get even. You think about what you've got to do. Uh, how, what can you do to make them pay for what they did? Maybe if it's just something as simple as not talking to them. I won't talk to them. That'll teach them. They'll know I'm mad at them still. You hold on to that. Yeah. Unforgiveness, understand this. Unforgiveness is a deliberate choice to hold on to this problem in your life. In Ephesians 4 and chapter uh, chapter 4 verse 31 and we'll look at that in detail later, Paul associates unforgiveness with some really bad things. He associates unforgiveness with bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and malice. Bad stuff. We may tell ourselves that our misery, this problem we've got, this hurt that we have was caused by somebody else. But I'm trying to tell you, no, you have chosen to hold on to it. Somebody else did it to you, but the problems that you're surfing now, the lack of abundant living that you're having now is because you have chosen to hold on to it. Somebody said once bitterness is the poison that we swallow while hoping the other person dies. It eats us up. We, we think we're punishing them somehow. But it ends up killing us. Somebody else explained forgiveness this way. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. What did we hold on to that? Uh, we, we still resent what happened to us and who did it. And we think about how to get back. And maybe it's as simple as not talking to them. I'll hurt you some way because you hurt me. Forgiveness is surrendering that right to hurt you for hurting me. It's really a simple definition what forgiveness is. But part of our problem, I think, is we make it harder by adding things to it that aren't necessary. So let's make sure there's a few things that we need to know that forgiveness does not mean. First of all, it does not mean that you forget. Now, this may surprise some of you. Because... Forgive and forget just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Now, we've all heard that. You've got to forgive and forget. Well, it sounds easy, but in practice, that's really hard. In fact, my position is, in fact, in practice, that's impossible. Our minds don't work that way. And, and we use as an excuse, we say, well, God forgets. We're supposed to forgive like God, and he forgives and forgets. Yes, he does say, I will remember your sins no more. He says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far the sins are from you. I put them behind me. He says all those things. Did you ever stop to wonder? Did you ever stop to wonder how an omniscient God forgets anything? Doesn't make sense to me. 
I know what he says, but how can a God who knows everything that ever happened or ever will happen or is happening, how can he forget anything? I don't think he can. I think a better way to say it is when he says he won't remember it anymore, he means he'll never bring it up again. It's as if it never happened. He will never bring it up. It is of no consequence. He will never hold it against you. You will never know that he ever knew about it. Scripture nowhere says that humans must forgive and forget. It says forgive. You can't forget it. Now, I believe if you do it right, if you practice the things we're talking about here and the Holy Spirit works in your life, it will fade away. I think it will not be a constant thing there. Somebody will have to remind you of it. But if they do, I remember that happened, but I haven't thought about that in years. But forgiveness does not mean that you have to forget. Second, it does not mean that you trust again easily. Some people get that confused and they think, okay, if you say you've forgiven me, then that means everything's just perfectly back like it was before. No, Scripture doesn't say be gullible. Trust is something that comes over time. It has to be earned. It has to be uh, rebuilt. For instance, let's say I I gave Lawson $100 to go get pizza for the youth group. And he takes off and heads down and his car needs gassed up, so he sends fun of it on gassing the car up and while he's in there, he sees that the Powerball is up $63 million and he spends the rest of it on a lottery ticket. And he comes back and says, well, here's what I did. Can I forgive him? Yeah, I can forgive him. But am I going to send him for pizza next time? No, I'm going to send somebody else. Okay? Now, over time, he might rebuild that trust. But forgiving doesn't mean that you immediately trust again easily as if nothing happened. Thirdly, it doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Peter had a real problem with that, didn't he? Peter went to Jesus, and and the Pharisees taught that you had to forgive three times. After that, it was over. You didn't have have anything to do with them anymore if you did three. Peter went, and he said, how about if I did it seven times? Would that be all right? And Jesus said, 70 times 7. Just keep forgiving. That really bothered poor old Peter. Uh, We are supposed to forgive 70 times 7 if that's necessary. But we also have been given a brain. And we're supposed to use it. We are told to turn the other cheek. But that doesn't mean you follow the guy saying, hit me again, hit me again. You don't have to be a doormat. The parable of the king that we're going to talk about in just a little while, he forgave a $10 million debt. Okay, But the parable doesn't go on and say that he just kept giving away money to anybody that asked. And the same guy came back and said, could I have another $10 million? He said, oh, yeah, here. No, he didn't do that. He wasn't that gullible. He, he understood that you don't have to let yourself... Be abused. Fourthly, forgiveness doesn't mean that they, the wrongdoer, are free from consequences. 
It doesn't mean that you have to condone what they did. It doesn't mean you have to approve of what they did. It doesn't mean that you can wipe out the consequences. Because sin causes consequences. Sometimes it causes legal consequences. Somebody has done something illegal, you may forgive them for it, but they still got to suffer the legal consequences. Sometimes it's a relationship consequence. You may forgive them, but there's still consequences to what they did. You don't have to be best buddies when you forgive somebody. Now, I hope those things help you understand a little bit what forgiveness is not. And I want to note one thing here for just a minute. This applies to real wrongs. This is when somebody has sinned against you. This is somebody has hurt you. If you've got a grudge over some little nitpicking little offense that you should have shrugged off, then you've got other problems. I'm talking about serious problems here, serious hurts. Put a couple of quotes there on your page for you. One person said, little minds are wounded by little things. Another one said, if you've got a chip on your shoulder, it indicates that there is wood higher up. Uh, Some people get offended and hurt by all sorts of things and don't want to forgive somebody. That's a whole other problem. We're talking about real sins against somebody. So hopefully those things that it doesn't mean will help. But there's also confusion about what forgiveness is. First of all, it's hard. I can stand up in here and say you've got to forgive. Because Jesus said you have to forgive. But that doesn't mean I'm telling you it's easy. It's hard. Some of you have been hurt deeply. I'm not talking about some petty misunderstanding. I'm talking about deep, ugly, horrible hurts. And when you're sitting there with that, me standing up here saying, I forgive and forget. That just doesn't cut it. You need to understand it's hard. You still have to do it, but it's hard. It's a struggle. It's hard. You may, may feel guilty that you can't just lightly do it. Well, understand it's hard. The Bible says we're supposed to forgive as God forgave us. How did God forgive you? Think about that for a moment. How did he forgive you? It wasn't easy. Anybody in here see the passion of the Christ? That's how he forgave you. The cross. His own son's blood is how he forgave you. If it wasn't easy for him, no guarantee it'll be easy for us. Forgiving is hard sometimes. Secondly, forgiveness is for you. This quote that I put on your handout may surprise some of you. It probably shocked you when you looked at it. It says, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It takes two to reconcile, but only one to forgive. And I put that on there so you could understand what forgiveness is. It's for you. See, if you ask me, well, why should I forgive him? He had nothing to deserve it. He's not sorry. He hadn't apologized. No reason I should forgive him. My answer to you is you should forgive him so that you can be free. It's for you. We've gotten the idea someplace that it's about them. Forget that. Forgiveness is about you. Now, it may be good for them. 
may not be good for them. Depends on all the circumstances, but that's not what it's about. You understand how many people there are in this world that hold on to grudges and, and hold on to this unforgiveness business and make themselves sick? And the other person that they're not forgiving wakes up every morning perfectly happy. They've either forgotten it or they've moved on or they couldn't care less. It's not about them. It's about us. It's about you. I read a story one time about a missionary that found this medicine man and he went into his hut and there were all these things hanging from the ceiling, little trinkets and possessions and all that. And he asked him what it was. He said he, he had something from everybody who had ever wronged him. And he put those on the top of his hut right over where he slept so he could look up there from his bed and remember everybody who had ever wronged him. Sometimes we act like that. It's not about them. It's about us. I think I told you this story once before, but about a little boy that was staying with his grandparents one summer, and they gave him his first slingshot. So he went out in the woods, and he practiced with his slingshot, and he couldn't hit anything too well. He was walking back to the house, and he spied his grandmother's pet duck walking across the yard. And on an impulse, he just drew back and took aim and let fly. He hit it. Killed the duck. Well, he panicked. He didn't know what to do. So he grabbed the duck and he ran over and he hid it behind the wood pile. And after he got it hidden, he looked up and his sister Sally was watching. She had seen it all. She didn't say anything, though. Little boy went inside and kept his mouth quiet. And after lunch, Grandma said, well, Sally, let's wash the dishes. Sally said, well, Johnny talked to me. Johnny told me he'd like to wash the dishes today. She looked over at Johnny and whispered, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. That evening, Grandpa came in and wanted to know if the kids could go fishing. And Grandma said, I'm sorry, Sally's got her chores to do. Her chores to help me with dinner tonight. Sally said, it's all taken care of. Johnny said he'd like to help with dinner tonight. She looked at him again and remember the duck. So Johnny stayed and fixed dinner while Sally went fishing. After several days of him doing both his chores and Sally's chores, he couldn't stand it anymore. And his conscience got to him, so he finally broke down and confessed. He went to his grandma and he said, Grandma, I'm so sorry, I I killed your duck. He explained it all. She said, I know, Johnny. She gave him a hug. She said, I was standing at the window. I saw it all. Because I love you, I forgave you right then. But I just wondered how long you would let Sally make you a slave. You see, Satan wants to keep you enslaved. He wants you tied up with bitterness and resentment and guilt and constant bad memories. He wants you to suffer from that. So it's not about them. Forgiveness is for you. Thirdly, forgiveness is not an option. If you're sitting here trying to decide if this sounds like a good idea or not, it doesn't matter if it's a good idea. It's not an option. Let's look at a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
not an option. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's not an option. We're commanded to do it. The parable in Matthew chapter 18, after Peter asked about the seven times forgiveness and all that, the way Jesus explained it to him, he told a parable about a king who forgave a guy a a 10,000 talent debt. That's $10 million, let's say. And you remember he forgave him that debt, and then the debtor went out, and he ran into a guy on the street that owed him a 100 denarii, which is a couple of dollars, and he wouldn't forgive him. And Jesus made that, told that story, and then at the end of it, he said, this is how, because the king then found out about it and threw the guy in prison and kept him there and all that. He said, this is how my holy heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. See, his picture is, look at how Jesus forgave you. $10 million debt. And if you can't forgive your brothers of a couple of dollars debt, then the Father can't forgive you. It wrecks that relationship. That's why Jesus put it in the prayer. Let Forgive us as we forgive others. So just ask yourself, how do you want to be forgiven? You want to be forgiven with open arms? Or you want to be forgiven with that tight fist? Like, eh, I don't think I'm going to let you go on that one. Well, that's how you need to forgive. Okay, let's finish with looking at a prescription of how to forgive. Scripture just says do it. We could stop right here if you want. Because Scripture just kind of the Nike slogan. Just just do it. You forgive. But we're trying to be very practical in this series. So I've wrote, written down some practical steps for you to follow. This is not Scripture. This is just a way. You can think of your own way or somebody may have a better one. But I would tell you if you really want to forgive, first step. Assume responsibility. Take it seriously. After what we've talked about this morning, you know what the cost of it is. You understand it's your job. You understand it's your decision. It's your choice. Just accept it. Say, all right, I've got this unforgiveness problem. I have to forgive. Second step, acknowledge. Don't leave this step out. Acknowledge that unforgiveness is sin. Confess it as such. I have this problem of unforgiveness, and God, I know it is sinful. I agree with you that this is sinful. Remember our lesson about sin? You got to pull it out. You got to hold it up. You got to look at it. You got to admit what it is. Call it what it is before you can go on. Third step pray specifically for the wrongdoer. I mean, by name. However you pray, on your knees or wherever, in your closet, whatever, you pray for that person. So I need to forgive this person. I want to forgive this person. You can go ahead and ask God, show me some ways that I can serve that person. That'll make you start thinking about things. Pray specifically for the wrongdoer. Fourth step. Then after you've prayed, get up and speak the words of forgiveness. Do it out loud. Person doesn't have to be there, but imagine the person being there. Get a picture of them from the directory if you want to and speak to them. 
Say, I forgive you of the things that I've had in my heart. Picture yourself closing a door. Those things that are behind me, I cannot change them. I surrender my right to hurt you because you hurt me and I'm closing the door on that chapter. That's behind me now. If you want to make a list of all the things that somebody's done wrong to you, make your list and then burn it. That'll help you. But do it out loud. Fifth step is optional. Go and ask forgiveness. If, only if, that person is aware of it, or if you think it will benefit them somehow. You see, we sometimes don't forgive people, and they don't even know anything about it. They don't know there's a problem. If they're not involved, if they're not aware, that won't help them in any way, and there's sometimes you can't do that. You understand? Sometimes people who have hurt us are dead. They're gone. We can't physically go to them. So this is an option. But if you think it will help, if they're aware of it and understand that you've been out of sorts with them for some reason and really don't know why, go and explain it if you think it'll help. Don't ask them for forgiveness for being unforgiving. All right. Some of you are still wondering, hold it now, what about the one that did the wrong? What's going to happen, What's going to, happen to them? Don't they have to suffer a little bit here somewhere? Where's justice? Well, that's the final step. You just let God sort out what happens to the wrongdoer. You just let God handle it. See, this is an act of faith. Forgiveness doesn't make sense sometimes. It's an act of faith. You just trust that God is righteous and just and sovereign. Remember when we talked about that? If he is all righteous and all just and perfectly sovereign, guess what? He will get it right. He will know exactly what that person needs. He'll deal with it. See, he can balance the scales of justice and mercy just exactly right. Because he's God. And when you forgive and just surrender your right to get even... You're right to balance the scales. You're saying, God, you're a better justice maker than I am. So you just take care of it. Whether it's in this life or the next, I don't care. You just take care of it. He'll do it perfectly. After all of that, after you go through those steps, how will you know? Will you know if you've forgiven? Will you know if it's happened? I think you'll know. I think your feelings will begin to change. I think one day you'll come to the realization, you know, that resentment is gone. I don't resent anything about that anymore. I barely think about it anymore. And and you'll notice that, you know, I'm starting to be concerned about that person. I'm starting to look for ways to help them. You'll know when forgiveness has taken place in your heart. Just do what God says to do. He'll help you. Same principle we've covered on everything else. You take the first step, the Holy Spirit will begin to help. He'll work it out in your life. To illustrate that, let me talk to you a little bit about Tori, Corey Ten Boom. You may have heard of her. She was from Holland. And during the Nazi occupation of uh, World War II, her family in Holland hid uh, Jews from the Nazis in their house. They had a secret room, a hiding place that they put them in. Well, that was illegal, obviously. And the Nazis finally figured it out and came for them. And Corey and her sister, Bessie, 
were sent to a German death camp, to Ravensbrück. And while they were there, horrible things happened. She tells about it in her book. But while she was there, she would watch many, many women die, including her sister, Bessie. Well, after the war, as unbelievable as it may seem, after the war, she went back to Germany to tell people about Jesus. And she really believed that this bombed out, bitter country uh, that had been defeated. So what they really needed to hear about was God's forgiveness. So she went back. In 1947, she was there, and she'd give speeches to whoever would come. And one of the things she always put in her speech, one of her favorite mental pictures, was she'd tell them that forgiveness is like God throwing our sins into the sea. She'd say, he takes our sins and throws them into the deepest ocean, and they're gone forever. Well, during one speech, as she was telling all that, She saw a man working his way through the crowd toward the front. And as she looked at him, she saw the brown overcoat and the brown hat. And then her mind flashed back. And all of a sudden, it wasn't a brown coat and brown hat anymore. It was a blue uniform and a cap with a skull and crossbones on it. And in her mind, she was back in this huge room with harsh overhead lights. In the middle of the room was a pile of dresses and shoes. And in her mind, she was in that line again of naked women marching past the guards. In front of her was her sister, Bessie, and she saw her ribs sticking out beneath her parchment skin. The place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making her way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. She tells it this way in her book tramp for the Lord. She says, now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course, but how could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein... Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? Could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. 
But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to forgive as he forgave. And as I looked at the picture of Corey Ten Boom that I found, I believe I see a resemblance. Jesus really wants you to live an abundant life. It's what he came for. He came to forgive you and to teach you how to forgive so you can be free to, to do that you to do so must you must hear what he says we've looked at this every week you've got to hear what he says this one is a teaching so fundamental that he put it in the model prayer you've got to hear what he says and then you got to put it into practice he does really want you to live an abundant life and to do so, you've got to forgive. You can forgive by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you need to claim his forgiveness in your life this morning, his hand is outstretched. In fact, his arms are open. Just come. Just come while we stand and sing.